This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Here we go. Hour three, Oakley Show. Great day for talk radio every Wednesday at this time. It's especially a good one because we have our uh, roundtable gathered here in studio. That includes Ernie Eves, a former premier and finance minister in the province of Ontario. Hello, Ernie. How are you, John? Very good. How about you? Great. Good. Catherine Swift, the former president and CEO of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, currently the spokesperson for Working Canadians. Catherine, hello. Hi, John. And Buzz Hargrove, former national president of the Canadian Auto Workers, now a distinguished visiting prof at Ryerson University's Ted Rogers School of Management. How's Buzz doing? Buzz is doing fine, John. Yeah, considering all the things that have been happening. Yes, it's been a busy week. It has been. We talked to you on Monday, and uh, at that time I was rather intrigued because you talked about playing hardball, going medieval on General Motors, even if it means shutting them out from selling their product. Remember, that's your words, medieval. I think it's pretty logical. And Donald Trump (laughs) is doing it. And saying it, how could it, it must be, be medieval? Then? Yeah. <laughs> well, wait a minute. Couldn't we know you medieval. agree with Trump He doesn't go back butts. quite that far. Well, you talked about shutting GM product out of the province of Ontario unless they come around to uh, maintaining a, a presence. In- one of the tools in in uh, the toolbox for Mr. Ford, which he seems so reluctant to use, is to put the heat on the company by saying, look, if you're not going to produce here, you make all your money in the province of Ontario. The province of Ontario put up billions of dollars to save your company. You better be able to tell us we have one of the most qualified workforces in the world. You better be able to tell us what you're going to put in that plant to replace the product you're going to move. If not, you may well may, may very well face uh, restrictions on your ability to sell in this market. Which I didn't even know. And I asked you at the time if that was legal, and you said you don't care. Donald Trump is doing it. Well, he's in... It's legal. It's got to be legal. The President of the United States is saying (laughs) to GM, if you don't bring something into Ohio, we're going to put the the dampers on what you're doing in uh, production here. Well, Jerry Dye, as your successor, is talking about 40% tariffs on GM product coming out of Mexico. Does that make sense? I don't know uh, how they arrived at those numbers, but it makes a lot of sense to me, if not higher. Not higher. Okay, 100% tariffs, uh, double the cost, the luxury tax. I mean... uh, by the way, and Buzz, I know back in the day when you were heading the Canadian Auto Workers Union and General Motors was stunting that they were going to pull out and take all of the tools and the machinery and equipment and everything. What did you do? Worked like hell, uh, as we always did. I worked with Ernie when he was premier and when he was finance minister um, and his government to get some support for what we were trying to do on technology, on new uh, ideas, innovation, and uh, and to convince Uh, the public, firstly, and then General Motors, that the workforce was so good that their products were so good here and they were making so much money that it made no sense. It wasn't logical for them to move out. I thought you welded the door shut and said that equipment's not moving. We we, No, that was another uh, uh, situation where we we had a a strike and they were going to, they had some uh, tools and dies and machine uh, uh, tools for Toyota, and they were producing metal stampings in that plant for Toyota. So we welded the doors front uh, <laughs> shut, and we hid the tools so that they couldn't uh, use them until they uh, got a deal. Okay. Uh, but you That's had, called hardball. I was going to say, welding the door shut always seems to work, doesn't it? <laughs> it, it did this time. It was kind of a lockout uh, of your making. Well, all right. Uh, Lock-in of their making. <laughs> yeah. So... Ernie, do you think there's anything the government can do here? I mean, Doug Ford said uh, early on uh, 
they were unequivocal several times. They emphasized they're leaving. And so when he goes and tells the truth about the situation, he gets pilloried. Andrea Horvath jumps all over him. Everybody, you included, Buzz, were saying, Absolutely. you know, the guy cratered too soon. Uh, what can the politician, the premier, you were there, what could you potentially do? Well, um, there's several aspects to writing checks to industries or different companies. And I've always been of the theory that if you're going to advance money for whatever reason, and we did it through the Innovation Trust Fund and the Research and Development Fund, there should be strings attached. You can't just take the money and then decide five years later you're shutting down the plant and unemploying 2,300 people. Uh, so I think you know both levels of government can take some blame here as to A, saving GM, help, helping to save GM at least a few years ago, and and this is the thanks we get. On the other hand, you know, we're we should have been able to see some of this coming that they would be eventually transforming into now, as Buzz and I were talking before we went on air. Basically what's going over now in the automotive market are SUVs and light trucks, mainly pickup trucks, and green new green technologies, self driving vehicles, and perhaps a little bit of uh foresight here about a year ago to try and retool the the GM plant in uh, in Oshawa might have gone a long way. Having said that, you know, um, not to be critical, but I think I'd be fighting for the workers uh, of the plant who are going to lose their jobs. You have to do, I don't know that if you can actually end at the end of the day be successful, but I do think you have to scratch, kick, and claw to try and support the people in your own in your own jurisdiction. I just don't think I would say, oh, well, too bad, decisions have been made. Now we've got to plan for welfare. Well, all right. Uh, and so Catherine Swift, I mean, look, uh, just to give it a different approach, a lot of people are saying there are other industries, media included, that have been hurting and decimated, uh, but they never got this kind of attention or the love uh, showered upon them or concern or considerations. Uh, is there something special about the automotive that we need to know about, that this is uh, something worth saving? Oh, I, I, the bottom line is, you know, you, it, it, in many instances, Ernie was alluding to this, in many instances, we're supporting an industry that has changed, so, just like many industries, have changed so fundamentally, we're, we're throwing taxpayer dollars, and, and people are talking about throwing even more taxpayer dollars, potentially in the future, but, you know, on, on an outmoded uh, model in, in so many different ways. And again, they were making a car, and, and the U.S. plants were the same, the ones that were closed in the U.S., proportionately there was not too many more people unemployed in the U.S. That so was interesting. And considering they're 10 times larger than us, you know, uh, Canada got hit harder in a proportional way with job losses. But, um, you know, the kinds of cars that were being made there, people aren't buying anymore. So, yes, could you retool it? And some forethought would have been, you know, uh, obviously good. But also, I mean, the Canadian, uh, you know, the, the high, highest cost production in North America that's in not, some of these That's plants. not accurate. And, and well, the, it is accurate. The irony, the irony of this. Uh, is that the uh, the uh, plant in Asha was just retooled two years ago. Over a half a billion dollars was spent to make it a flex plant, which can build a car and a truck on the same line, allowed production of a number of parts to move into the complex so you wouldn't have the travel uh, and the cost of travel uh, going in. So uh, Oshawa looked like it, as it has always been, was the jewel of the GM crown. And nobody was expecting, because we can build trucks there today. The trucks are where the sales are. We can build uh, uh, probably 10 times as many as we are if they want to put the 
the uh, vehicles into uh, into our facilities. So it's deeper than that. Uh, General Motors is not uh, is not uh, saying that. You never heard if if it was a labor cost problem uh, or a cost problem. Period. General Motors would be screaming from the highest tree that that's what the problem but is. A lot here, of the but problems, they're not. A lot of the problems back in two thousand and nine, when the when the last big bailout happened, was the so called legacy costs. You know, pension costs. I mean, that's that's killing a lot of industries right now because we don't have markets with as high rates of return as was the case. You know, fifteen, twenty, thirty years ago, and so on. So there's a lot of elements here that go beyond the you know the simple labor cost kind of argument. But I think again, you know, do we keep bailing out the dinosaurs? And but you know. To your point, John, uh, they've lost way more jobs in Alberta to an industry that arguably contributes, the energy industry, contributes a lot more to Canada than the auto industry does. And nobody's seems to be, you know, I mean, we're certainly aware of it, but you don't see all the care and feeding and all the politicians uh, genuflecting to the extent that you do with this, you know, this one plant uh, closure in, in Ontario. So there's no question there's a bias here. And I think part of it is that, uh, you know, Diaz was, and Diaz was on the negotiating team, which I always found a little dubious for starters, uh, for the new Canada, U.S., Mexico, you know, t- trade agreement and so on. And uh, you got to wonder now, you know, did, did he do a very good job with that? Because presumably he was there representing his industry. Let me ask well, that, you, though. But, but the, remember, uh, the trade agreement has not been signed between the three countries. There's not one part of it that's in place and has any impact on what General Motors. It, it'll be interesting to see if they can get it done at least two years down the road and the pension issue that was there in 2008 and 2009 was the health care uh, cost for retirees that, that made well. the difference that is and well. we restructured our health care uh, fund and set up a trust fund where we put a certain amount of money in out of bargaining and the union uh, membership put a certain amount of money in and we have our benefits coming out of that so when they measure the cost of a, an hour of labor uh, that is no longer a problem for Canada as it was uh, back in, the, in those years and it wasn't for the US now we're equal in that regard so we are again now extremely competitive in the North American environment except with Mexico let me ask you uh, float this idea because you've got an election year coming up next year here in Canada, two years in the States. So, you know, it's not maybe a coincidence, or it is, uh, that uh, Ohio and Michigan have been targeted, two critical states to, you know, uh, presidential hopefuls. And here, you know, in Ontario, if General Motors creates a crisis of employment and gets politicians nervous about things, wouldn't they, when General Motors says, you know, maybe then we can develop our autonomous vehicles somewhere with government help at these plants like Oshawa and Warren, Michigan, Warren, Ohio, and that kind of thing. You think the government would be like hot to trot to get right in there and partner up and uh, lay out more subsidies because jobs are the new currency. And Ernie, if they're seen as protecting jobs and maybe salvaging something like Oshawa, uh, who could resist that? That's really enticing for a politician, isn't it? Yes, it is. And I'm not against because I did it. I mean, I'm not against innovation funds and research and development funds as long as you're improving technology, productivity, and you're providing some guarantee of employment for people. That's what it's all about. Um, I agree with Catherine about the oil industry in Western Canada is just as bigger, bigger a problem. And certainly the premier of Alberta has been screaming and yelling. But besides that, not too many people say it. I guess the Conservative Party federally has been screaming and yelling because they have 
some decent representation out west, whereas but, the liberals don't have that much. But it's votes. Let's let's yes. not let's not fool ourselves. So that's here. what it all you comes know, down to. The economy can go to hell in a handcart. Uh, as I think, as far as the federal liberals are concerned in Alberta, because people in Alberta don't vote liberal, and people in Ontario, a lot of them do. Is that what it is? Uh, uh, that, well, that's well, then the you go back to the aspect. whole Bombardier thing. Yeah, I mean. Talk about government Talk about massive and waste of money. <laughs> I mean, billions of dollars over the years, federal and provincial governments of all political stripes, and this company still can't make money. I mean, it's... But their executives get really good bonuses, aren't they? <laughs> really, really. The last big bailout we did, they, they pocketed a good chunk of it at the executive level. Well, anyway, that's... Anybody in the oil patch unionized? Because I'm just curious, you know, the idea that the uh, Unifor folk or, you know, Jerry Diaz is getting a lot of FaceTime on TV and whatever. Uh, this is drawing the heat and uh, it's really, you know, put this on the front page. Otherwise, you know, out there in the oil patch, nobody is sort of consolidated around a complaint. That's definitely a factor, if you ask me, is that uh, the the well, oil yeah, patch but, is a much different type of sector, of course, but you don't have the union voice. And Diaz, we all, we know, <laughs> we know in spades, and I say shame on him for being so partisan politically, but he supported Trudeau big time in the last election. And, you know, I'm sure you saw all the things they came out with recently that they're Shear's worst enemy and all this kind of jazz. And what, I mean, that's a, that's a description grace for any union to be doing that, if you ask me. And an awful lot of uniform members, I'm sure, don't like it at all. We have stupid that, laws that permit it in this country. You should know that uh, a lot of the uh, workforce in uh, in the north, in Fort McMurray, in the Fort McMurray area, the oil sands, uh, are unionized. Some of them are members uh, of uniform. Others are members of the building trades unions. Others are members of, uh, of CLAC. Uh, and Jerry Dias and the executive of the union just made a very strong statement but it doesn't get picked up in Ontario. Why uh, not? The problem yeah, but Diaz the media, has come out against the media, the a media. lot of the pipeline stuff. No, he did not. Yes, he has. No, he has he not. He has They've numerous supported. times, Buzz. They've supported the I'm pipeline. I'm sorry. Uh, no, they uh, have not. I've supported the pipeline. I went into Fort McMurray and made a speech supporting uh, the pop pipeline because it just makes sense. Uh, we got all this oil in the ground. We're giving it away for ten bucks an hour. When other countries are getting seventy dollars or seventy a barrel, I should say, not right. an hour. Well, that's the that don't make sense. sense to anybody. There's logic in their in their thinking and wants to put people to work and wants to help the country. Because Alberta, what they do there, you're right, Catherine. It helps the country, not just Alberta. Yeah, but you know, this is that whole environmental agenda that they've got. Trudeau. Gerald Butts, you know, with the formerly of the World Wildlife Fund uh, here in uh, Ontario. You know, he was the guy who was driving the green energy thing with Kathleen Wynne and Dalton McGinty. I mean, this is what we've been handed, the cards we were uh, dealt, and Alberta suffering, and by I extension, the... John, I see absolutely no contradiction between dealing with environmental concerns on behalf of the people affected and the communities affected and having a strong uh, oil and gas industry and having pipelines to get our oil uh, uh, and gas to, to market. Just logical uh, thinking to me. Why can't Buzz be our prime minister? There you go. Buzz for prime minister. All right, we'll come no, back. Minister, uh, but you yes. know, these points, uh, <laughs> obviously there's a contrast in the uh, amount of attention that uh, one issue General Motors is getting vis-a-vis -vis, uh, the uh, the other one out west, and so uh, something is in play. We'll come back in a moment uh, because Rachel Notley was speaking to that. I'll play that clip, and we'll continue on with our discussion. All right, we're back in with our roundtable. Ernie Eves, former Premier and Finance Minister, Buzz Hargrove, former National President of the Canadian Auto Workers, and Catherine Swift. 
former president and CEO of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, having talked about General Motors and uh, where this is all going and what could possibly be done to salvage the operation and the jobs and so on and so forth. You know, the idea got floated of nationalizing this particular aspect of the automotive business, uh, maybe taking over the plant, you know, since we granted all those concessions back there in 2009. But earlier today, I had Frank Stronach on, founder and uh, chairman emeritus, I guess, of Magna International, world's largest auto parts manufacturer, from Austria. And he was, uh, we were discussing whether or not it'd be viable to build a domestic uh, or nationalized domestic automaker. Here's what he had to say. So you got a great car. A high-quality car, the pricing is right, we could cut the import down. That's the first thing. That's in our, under our control, right? And the next thing, I think we could also maybe export some, right? So I, I think it's feasible. We had a great labor pool. And I, I think, uh, if you're honest and straightforward with workers, I think you win their hearts and their attitudes. There you go. So you play ball with the workers, you know, you give them a piece of the action. That's his model. Uh, it worked for him at Magna. Buzz, do you see this as being viable at all, a domestic uh, or nationalized automaker? Well, working with the workforce is a natural thing that, that everybody should be doing. and uh, The workers will produce, if they pay some respect, and they have uh, uh, some value uh, in the place. But again, uh, here, uh, this has been tried uh, before, back when the Autopack was signed in 65. Uh, part of the debate that time was our union then recommended we have a Canadian car, that we build a Canadian car. If you're going to have closer ties with the Americans, at least we should have one car. We even had the name for it. We called it the Beaver, and we would sell it under the Canadian uh, flag, and, and, and it, it would go. We tried oh, all over the place, but there was no there was no money around uh, no? that were interested in, in doing that. So, no, it's easy to... It's easy to uh, to think that maybe this is possible, mm. uh, but I don't I don't believe it is. There's a, look at tel- Tesla today; uh, they're struggling. They've spent billions of dollars, haven't made any money, but they're still alive. But for how long? Who knows? Well, listen, uh, you know, in the Beaver, maybe not that far fetched an idea with the price of gas you could run on wood chips or anything. <laughs> You know, when I hear this concept, I hear the giant sucking sound of more money out of taxpayers' pockets. That's what I hear. Do you? Oh, yeah, because th- this is not going to happen with private capital. Well, and Tesla. Why is Tesla still alive? Because Elon Musk is very good at conning governments out of money, out right. of taxpayer they dollars. They still haven't not, made a dime. He's exactly. And, and uh, so, it, no, I, I just, uh, again, it's nice in concept. In reality, if it was if it was a good proposition, probably be happening already. Well, I know one of the uh, financial wizards at the Toronto Star was speculating, you know, if Korea's got the Kia and the Hyundai and Volkswagen's a German uh, product, you know, then what the heck? Why shouldn't we have our own car? Does that not make sense, Ernie? Sure, we call it the Toque. <laughs> the Toque. <laughs> 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 so, yeah, that's a block heater, too. <laughs> so, uh, I, th- I think maybe, uh, obviously, Mr. Stronach isn't too involved in Magna anymore because he'd lose all his contracts that he's selling parts to different automakers all over the world in different places. He'd be competing against himself. All right. Well, look, uh, it's also a question of whether or not this is a friendly jurisdiction to do business in. And, you know, when we asked earlier in the week, as soon as the word came out that Oshawa was closing, uh, who or what's to blame for that? A lot of people have cited, you know, various and sundry, but they're saying uh, at first blush, 
We did it to ourselves. In other words, we have not set up a very friendly environment for business. Uh, would that be a plausible reason for GM pulling up stakes, Catherine? It's one of them. I, I don't think there's any one reason. It's, it's going to be a cumulative situation. And uh, But uh, absolutely, it, we, we've heard a lot of the auto industry people. Magna, we heard Don Walker talk uh, a little while ago about how it was getting untenable uh, to do business in Ontario. High hydro costs, high taxation. And, and this is a big business. I mean, this, th- things like the incredibly growing, costly regulatory burden falls more heavily, actually, on the small, small medium-sized business community, and that's also been a huge factor. So, you know, again, in in the whole equation of why they pulled out, there's many, many components, but the cost of doing business has to be one of them. You know, it's interesting when it comes to the cost of doing business, because there was this fall economic statement, Bill Murnau, last week, uh, and apart from accelerated depreciation, which, you know, Trump introduced, uh, he really lost an opportunity to enhance Canada's competitiveness, didn't he? Well, I don't know. Doug Ford was complimenting him on, on this new equipment write-down that you can do right away. But apart from that, what else uh, was there? The, the, well, no the, no break on corporate taxes, business they, taxes? Oh, God. You, you, pretty soon we're, we're going to be, I, I believe if you add it all up, we would be paying them to stay here or come here as opposed to <laughs> them. Well, we're doing that now, Buzz. It's, it's called subsidies. Yeah, and then, then they, they should. <laughs> that's what I mean. If you add it all up. I don't think anybody's paying any taxes in the uh, corporate world today. And by the way, GM's the first one to scream if they have a cost problem. Not one whisper about a cost problem. Not one whisper about a problem with the union. Not one whisper about the quality, the productivity, the community support for General Motors. Those aren't the problems. This is a bigger world. Bigger world that they're playing. Buzz is the car whisperer. (laughs) It would be a politically (laughs) stupid thing to say that when they've done it every time they've closed a plant everywhere. Just because they don't say it, Buzz, doesn't mean uh, it's not true. And and if if they were angling, what struck me actually about the GM announcement, go back there for a second, was that it was quite stark. Normally, there's there's a little bit of you know, people are still saying, are they just negotiating? I got the impression they weren't that they've decided, mm-hmm. and, and um, you know, it may turn out otherwise. Well, that's why Doug Ford came out and money. said he asked several times, and a guy told him unequivocally, it "No, we're like done." It seemed like a fait accompli, exactly. Right, yeah. and yet he's being. General uh, Motors told me no a lot of times, but that didn't stop me from moving ahead. Really, or maybe welding the door shut. <laughs> <laughs> the odd time, not work. <laughs> so, uh, you're you know the the argument that Doug Ford cratered too early. Uh, Ernie, you sort of intimated earlier well, that you I'd thought say he cratered, but I, you have to. I mean, they're your constituents. I don't care if it's a local constituency, a province, or a country. You have to fight for the people that you are representing, and you have to join with them in their cause and try to turn the situation around. Now, that may be, you know, end up having an electric car plant or some new technology, more green a self-drive car plant there, but you got to do something to try, in my opinion, to try and help these people. At the end of the day, you may or may not be successful, but I don't think I would just accept somebody's word. Well, we've made our decision. That's it. Well, what's the difference between... I I don't really think this has a lot, and I'm no great supporter of the current federal government, but I don't think this, quite frankly, has a lot to do with the current federal government either. Uh, You know, if it was just because of stuff in Canada, there wouldn't be four plants closing in the U.S. There wouldn't be two or three plants closing in Europe. They must all be screwing up at the same time if they're closing plants all over the world. I think this is a cost-saving measure that GM decided it was going to do, and they decided to spread the misery around so they couldn't be criticized in any one sector too much. You want to talk about politics? Well, we just did, and uh, (laughs) I'll ask about another thing then, but this is 
got to do with government largesse, the Maple Leaf Foods Empire. Uh, I want to get to that in just a second because $34 million coming from the province, 62.5 in total between the feds and the province. And whether that's justifiable, we'll find out in a moment with our roundtable panel. All right, back at you here as uh, we head into the home stretch. Don't forget, Leafs are playing tonight. Matthews is back. Uh, this is going to be a good one with San Jose in town. However, uh, when I've got your undivided attention here, I've got to ask you, we've been talking about dispensing government largesse, which really is just, you know, that's a proxy for spending our money. Is it money well spent? Earlier today, Ernie, uh, you were saying that uh, if there's investment and innovation and so on and so forth, and it creates or protects jobs, then it's worthwhile. Now you've got our government here in the province, as well as federally, $62.5 million in total to Maple Leaf Foods, you know, the McCain Empire, a chicken processing plant going to London. They're going to shut down the one in Brampton and here in Toronto and a third. In St. Mary's. Yeah, in St. Mary's and consolidate under one roof, uh, highly streamlined what the Canadian Taxpayers Federation uh, deemed to be the highly innovative, uh, strategic uh, business of cutting up chickens. And so, so <laughs> they said this was folly to be spending taxpayer money on this because it's a private concern for the most part. So does it is it justifiable? Well, it's kind of ironic that the same week that GM announces they're cutting 2,300 jobs and then we're hearing now in the, just in the last couple of days about all the other fallout around there, auto part manufacturers. I think uh, Martin Rea announced that they'll be closing their plant in Ajax because they do nothing but supply parts for this particular plant in Oshawa. A couple of hundred workers, it's, it, right. It, it's, it's kind of ironic that now we're going to give money to people to actually cut net 300 jobs, as I understand it. By the time they close those three plants and open the new, shiny, more innovative one in in uh London, which I have nothing against, but there again, are we protecting the workers that already have their jobs? And if we're going to hand out money, shouldn't there be some sort of job protection element that goes hand in hand with it? But the other question is, the company, in this case, I believe, this would have happened without a cent from taxpayers. And that's been proven. There have been a lot of studies done on corporate welfare and so on. And I know the argument is, well, other countries do it, so we're forced to, too. I, I don't believe that's true. I think there's other ways you can be attractive to, you know, to attract business to a community, to a province or a country. But in this case, I think it was just money in the garbage can. So Tax how, dollars in the my, garbage my can. My understanding of it, that there was a... Uh, the way the company framed this, that they're going to close the three plants anyway, and they're going to consolidate. And the question was, are we going to consolidate in Canada? Therefore, London, Ontario was selected, or I believe it's Cleveland. Don't hold me to that, but it's certainly an American operation they have. Are we going to consolidate uh, there? And they were offered money from the states, and uh, and the provincial and federal government responded by putting the money in. Whether they need it or not, you never know. I think Ernie's got the, the right point, and that is, what kind of guarantees have you got? Is there some system of, that we can get our money back if these jobs don't turn out to be uh, there or are only there for a couple of years and you're gone with our money? But often, Those are the things that have to be dealt with on a much tougher basis by all levels of government. That's that's Again, that's easy to say, and it's an easy point to agree with. And yet there's been many, many cases where there were strings attached and they closed the plant, left, and, the, you know, it's very hard to get money from a, you know, a ghost, <laughs> which is, sure. you know, McCain, so I mean, even McCain's those so-called guarantees are very vulnerable. So, you know, there, yeah, there I, are I, no guarantees. I think if you're going to do that, you almost have to come up with some sort of a, a bond system or um, a line of credit that 
you leave and we're scooping the 50 million bucks. Well, even GM, they paid back. They this, paid yeah. back a, a considerable amount of the bailout, not right. all of it. And then Trudeau, just back in June of this year, forgave the remaining amount of money. Uh, so, but some of it was, you know, a goodly portion of it was paid back. Right. But the point is that, uh, you know, the conservative government here in the province sort of betrayed the conservative orthodoxy. No, you know, corporate welfare. Yep. And so I suddenly uh, they're singing off the same hymn sheet as Kathleen Wynne and Dalton McGuinty. Yeah, I was quite surprised uh, which, when I heard it. Which conservative government hasn't? Well, okay. Done that? Uh, look in Saskatchewan, look in Manitoba, look in Alberta, the former government. Ralph Klein gave away tens of millions of dollars. To well, the, it's inevitable then. What you're saying is that's a pragmatic approach of, to governance. As part of an economy is to be able to partner with the uh, public sector and to ensure everybody has a, a, a stake in the game. I'm nothing against you know, 3P partnerships. I don't think there's anything wrong with them. But you have to be able to protect the, the taxpayer's interest when you're doing it. All right. Somebody brought up Alberta. I believe it was you, Buzz, a second ago. And yep. I wanted to speak to this because Alberta, we mentioned it sort of in passing in the last uh, segment or two, that, uh, you know, the oil sands, they're not getting any love or not the same way as the uh, GM plant closure here is. But Rachel Notley, she was up in Ottawa today, and uh, she says it's perverse that we're selling our oil in Alberta for 10 bucks a barrel while on the East Coast we're importing from the Saudis. Listen. As we deal with uh, the uh, the delays that we are seeing on pipelines, we cannot sustain, and the economy cannot sustain, and I'm not just talking about Alberta's economy, I am definitively talking about the Canadian economy, we cannot sustain a $10 a barrel price for Western Canadian select. Right, because we can't get at the Tidewater. That's the point. If we could, we'd be drawing international prices. But right now, the States has got us over a barrel, literally and figuratively. <laughs> and uh, what she also went on to say is Alberta's losing to their economy $80 million a day because the product is not getting to market. And what she wants to do is have a thousand rail cars delivering it because the pipeline is not getting built, as we know. The Trudeau response to that is we bought the pipeline for $4.5 billion and we're going to get it built so you don't need the rail cars. So uh, you tell me uh, who's right on this as, tar- as far as priorities are concerned, Buzz. Rail, rail cars make a great deal of sense no matter uh, the statement of Trudeau that we're eventually going to build the pipeline. You still need in the interim a way to get air oil and we've got an already system in place all we got to do is add some cars and add some uh, locomotives to it and ship it that's what we should be doing she's absolutely a, right it's a dangerous dangerous way to do it though that's a, a, you know it's the riskiest well, it's way proven to transport to be it. not half as dangerous as the pipelines we've had more accidents and 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 uh, uh, why are you shaking your head because problems. it's not true because when you consider the volume that's shipped via pipeline it's not me that wrote rail that. is <laughs> why are you shaking your head buzz <laughs> it's not me that wrote it <laughs> <clears throat> and by the way, Buzz, I just did a quick Google search, and Jerry Diaz has come out very definitively against many, many pipelines. So uh, do do a quick search yourself, and, and you might see Northern Gateway, for example, and uh, Energy East he, and he so may, on. He may have come out against a he pipeline, did. but he, he did. is supporting uh, the the major pipelines that they want to run to the West Coast. So they, that's the well, quickest one they can get. support Northern Gateway, which was one of those pipelines. In any, way, in any case, I think the real issue here is that the federal government is totally ragging the puck on this. They have no intentions of, uh, they're not funding rail cars because they don't want, they, they don't care. They really don't care. 
Um, and they and they, we know that. Jerry, so what is it? Do we know he, that Jerry Butts is you know his as you alluded to, John, his p- history is all the green sector, and they want to appease their greeny base. And again, Alberta. I mean, if it was Ontario or Quebec that was in the same shoes as Alberta, we'd have a whole different ball game because of liberal <laughs> votes. So they're willing to beggar the Canadian economy, seemingly on ideological grounds. Yep, I think they are. Okay. Well, I think I think on political grounds, partially for sure. I mean. This is one thing Buzz and I have agreed upon. You know, we've been talking about this here for well over a year, the pipeline issue. Uh, I think it's ludicrous that you have a country that's self-sufficient in oil and petroleum products and you can't get it from one side of the country to the other. The rest of the world must just sit there and laugh at us. It's ridiculous. So screw up some political courage. And get the thing built. And we have all these uh, U.S.-funded uh, environmental groups that do their darndest to uh, landlock Canadian oil while they're, um, the U.S. Is, is tending toward being well, self-sufficient in energy way, because this, of all their fracking and everything else. This is just not uh, the current government's problem. Harper couldn't get the thing built either, so the conservative government can, couldn't get it done. Well, that's because there were all these environmentalists who and activists who were stalling the operation. Same Joel, thing as now. Is, Joel is that a legitimate argument? No, because I, don't I mean, think so. they did enough uh, of this testing and so on and so forth, uh, the consultations. Joe Oliver, I remember when he was the energy minister, he said, like, uh, one consultation and project moves forward. Now you got about a dozen of them. But, uh, you know, it's interesting, dovetailing with this is a story that recently the United Nations came out with a report that said, uh, we're not living up to our 2015 Paris Agreement targets. We're not even close to matching those. So what do we do, Buzz? Do we double down now and impose even stricter uh, carbon tax regime here uh, and make sure, you know, we burn less fossil fuels and carbon emissions and things? I don't don't think that's a solution at this point. You'd have to look at this and see if there's any other way that we can contribute more. Uh, because it is a problem. If you look at uh, Sydney, Australia today, they had a month's worth of rain in two hours. The whole major part of that city is flooded today. These things aren't by chance. You can't just keep letting this happen and not put a plan in place to deal with it. And we have to be part of that. Well, the, the UN also said no other country is going to make that is signed on to the Paris, you know, agreement are going to meet their obligations either. So, I think that just shows that there's an awful lot of, you know, governments who love to go to a place like Paris or whatever on the taxpayer's dime, sign these lofty agreements, get credit for it, and then do absolutely nothing to actually because the goals are unrealistic. You'd have to hobble the economy horrendously, and I'm with Buzz on this one. You would have to inflict so much pain on people uh, that it's it's totally unrealistic. Interesting. The U.S. is doing better than any of the countries that signed. But that's on, fracking, and they just withdrew. They're, they're well, replacing exactly. coal yeah. power with fracking, which is way more environmentally friendly. Emission standards, exactly. Well. And so they're they're achieving results. And in Canada, there's a lot of places that could. New Brunswick is a good example that that has potential for fracking, and that again, the greenies don't want to do that, so they've bowed down to them. So we have an opportunity to do that kind of stuff like the U.S. is doing, and we're choosing not to do it. Well, it's just a market response in the states. The market basically has moved them to a lower emissions uh, regime. Isn't that interesting, Buzz? Didn't need any government uh, decree or fiat. Well, no, I don't think that's fair. There's been a lot of government funding went into uh, the words that's been done in the United States. Remember, uh, 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 what's his name? Trump, he just came along, you know. (laughs) Not even two years. Mm. Uh, there was a lot of government. The Obama government put a lot of money in there. The Bush, uh, and and uh, so did uh, 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 Clinton. Others have put a lot of money in that over the years. When we were lagging, 
You, by the way, didn't go to the Clintons, Bill and Hillary. You were at the Scotiabank Arena last night. No, no, I, I couldn't get a seat. That was you, in the it was only, only 83%. <laughs> it was only 80-odd percent empty. <laughs> it, it was. It was I think cavernous. the perversity of these green groups, the ones that are funding, hobbling our energy sector in Canada and fighting things like fracking, don't do it in the U.S., and, and they're ending up with better environmental results than us. What, what a perverse state of affairs. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.